He stalked the remote hiking trails of the southern United States, leaving a trail of death in his wake. They called him the National Forest Serial Killer. Between 2007 and 2008, Gary Hilton hunted the backcountry pass of the South. In 2007, he murdered John and Irene Bryant in North Carolina's Pasiga National Forest. Also in that year, he slayed Cheryl Dunlap in Florida's Apalachicola National Forest. In 2008, he killed Meredith Emerson in Georgia's Chattahoochee National Forest. The latter victim was driven around for three days before being beaten to death and decapitated. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Everything But the Kitchen Sink podcast. I am your host Clay Anderson and today we will look at the serial killer Gary Michael Hilton. Hilton was unique amid the serial killer lexicon. He began his killing spree at age 61. This episode will follow the life and crimes of Hilton who murdered his way across three states and terrified the hiking community throughout the South. Gary Hilton was born in Atlanta, Georgia in 1946. As a child, he received an injury where he was partially scalped. He spent the next several weeks inside a hospital where they tried to permanently reattach his hair. At a young age, his mother divorced his father and remarried. This posed a problem for Hilton, who, in 1959, when he was 13 years old, shot his stepfather. In Gary's mind, he felt that his stepfather had taken his mother away. This was the first time he tried to kill another human being. He only wounded his stepfather, who decided to give his stepson a second chance and refused to press charges. Hilton was briefly confined to a mental hospital for the attack and then released. In 1963, a 17-year-old Gary Hilton enlisted in the U.S. Army. He was sent to West Germany and assigned to the Davy Crockett Platoon, which was named after the coonskin cap king of the Wild Frontier. There were 19 men in the special platoon. Their task was to direct and deploy the Davy Crockett missile, which was a nuclear projectile launched from a rifle. It was the smallest and lightest nuclear weapon ever developed by the United States military and designed for use against the Soviet Union. With a maximum range of one and a quarter mile, the Army's brilliant idea was to arrange these units armed with handheld nuclear weapons across West Germany, establishing a perimeter against armed Soviet insurgents. The members of the Davy Crockett platoon were supposed to be carefully screened for psychological fitness. The question is, how the hell did Gary get in it? The fact of the matter was, being a member of the unit was a suicide mission. The Davy Crockett soldiers would be blown to hell if they ever fired the nuclear-tipped missile. And perhaps it was this stress that caused Hilton to crack up while serving. A few years into his service, Hilton started to hear voices and soon suffered a full-blown schizophrenic breakdown. The Army put him in a mental hospital where they drugged him up on Thorazine. Rather than give him a Section 8 psychiatric discharge, the Army chose to give him an honorable discharge instead. He was released from the Army in 1967 at the age of 21. There's no record that any Army personnel followed Hilton into civilian life to see how he would function in society. Hilton was a good-looking guy. He was a long-distance runner and, according to some tests, possessed a near-genius-level IQ. But whether it was Hilton's painful childhood, his deteriorating mental state, or the lingering trauma of his scalping injury, the man just couldn't sustain a relationship or keep a good job. He bounced around the South during the 1970s and 80s. 
At the dawn of the millennium, after burning through multiple marriages and jobs, Hilton found himself in Atlanta, Georgia, working as a roofer at the age of 54. Here's the thing about serial killers. They don't just start murdering in their 60s. Something had to set them off or seriously disturb their day-to-day -day lives. The worst you could say about Hilton before he committed murder was that he was a con man and petty thief. But that all changed when a Georgia psychiatrist prescribed him Ritalin, despite the fact that he didn't suffer from ADD. In Georgia, Hilton had worked for years as a tin man for John Tabor, who ran a home siding business in the Atlanta area. Tabor not only employed Hilton, but he provided him a home on one of his properties. Soon after Hilton began taking Ritalin, which acts as a stimulant for those without ADD, his demeanor changed. He grew irritable and confrontational, he acted out, and even threatened Tabor with violence. It wasn't long before Hilton lost his job and his home on Tabor's property. Cut loose, Hilton hit the road in his Chevy Astrovan with Dandy, his dog, an ever-present companion, and he was popping Ritalin as he went. If Hilton had one passion, one comfort that offset the instability of his professional and personal life, it was the outdoors. And this is something to remember. In 2005, roughly two years before he claimed his first victims, Gary Hilton abandoned a van in the Trey Mountain area of White County, Georgia. Here, he received a citation for doing so, but didn't answer it. A warrant was then issued for his arrest and put into a federal database. In 2007, he and Dandy drove north, leaving the state of Georgia and crossing into North Carolina to the Pisgah National Forest just outside of Asheville. It was here that Hilton first encountered senior citizens Irene and John Bryant while on a hike through a remote section of the park. And it was here, among the old-growth trees of the Appalachian wilderness, that Hilton decided to murder them. How he came to befriend them is unknown. What is known is that shortly after the couple went hiking on October 20, 2007, they disappeared. Someone used the couple's ATM card at a bank 75 miles away. Irene turned up dead roughly three weeks later on November 9th, her skull fractured in multiple places. John remained missing. His body wouldn't be found until 2008. Hilton, meanwhile, left North Carolina driving south into Georgia. He stopped to set up camp on a private hunting reserve in Cherokee County. A local noticed his presence and called police to make a complaint. A deputy drove out to kick Hilton off the property. Upon arrival, the deputy ran Hilton's license through a state database. No outstanding warrants were for him in the Peach State. At this time, there was no requirement that the license be run through a federal database. If his license had been checked on the federal level, the deputy would have caught his outstanding warrant for that unanswered citation from 2005. Hilton would have been arrested there and then. Two people would be alive, and this podcast would stop right here. Sadly, nothing of the sort took place. The deputy told Hilton to pack up his gear and clear out. He was free to go. Leaving Cherokee County, Hilton drove south, crossing into Florida and entering the Apalachicola National Forest outside Tallahassee by the middle of November. Despite another run-in with a Park Service officer on November 17th, Hilton was let go with a warning not to exceed the park's 14-day camping limit. And once again, his name was not cross-referenced in a federal database for outstanding warrants. 
The details surrounding Hilton's abduction of 46-year-old nurse Cheryl Dunlap on December 1, 2007 in the Apalachicola Forest remains a mystery. Just 5 feet 4 inches, Dunlap had thick wavy brown hair, brown eyes, and thin lips. She was a mother and devoted member of the Evangelical Christian River Church. Soon after her disappearance, Cheryl's car was found with a flat tire on Crawfordville Highway parked just outside of the park's entrance. She may have been attempting to flag someone down for assistance when Hilton came upon her. A few days after the discovery of Cheryl's car, security footage surfaced of a man in a rubber mask attempting to use her bank card in an ATM. Then on December 15th, Apalachicola Park Rangers noticed buzzards picking over a large carcass. They realized it was the body of a woman as they grew closer, with gaping wounds on the torso and legs. Then they noticed what wasn't there. Both hands had been cut off and the head was missing. The body was later identified as the missing Cheryl Dunlap. While authorities scoured the area for clues to the killer, Hilton hit the road. By the end of 2007, he was back in Georgia, just in time for New Year's Eve. On January 1st, 2008, Hilton and Dandy set out for a hike on Blood Mountain outside of Atlanta. That's when he ran into Meredith Emerson, who was also enjoying a New Year's Day trek with her dog. Hilton tried abducting her, but the martial arts-trained Emerson resisted. A powerful 24-year-old, Emerson put up a good fight. But Hilton was trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat from his days in the Army and eventually got the better of her. Once subdued, he marched her down the mountain to his van. Inside, he tied Emerson down, drove away, and held her prisoner for days. This time, however, Hilton failed to clean up his trail. Other witnesses had seen them on the mountain that day. They alerted authorities, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation soon identified Hilton as the primary suspect in Emerson's abduction. Police continued to scour Blood Mountain, despite the fact that attempts to use Hilton's bank card had been made at ATMs many miles away. News of the abduction went national, and soon it caught the attention of John Tabor, Hilton's former boss. When Hilton called to ask for money, Tabor knew Hilton was the prime suspect in Emerson's disappearance. Strangely, Tabor waited over an hour to inform the GBI about the call. With information by Tabor, authorities were able to trace it to a huddle house in Marble Hill, Georgia. By the time they arrived, however, Hilton was gone. On January 4th, events occurred in rapid succession. Early in the morning, Meredith Emerson was murdered in the Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area in Dawson County, Georgia. Also, Emerson's dog Ella wandered into a grocery store, and Emerson's possessions were found in Forsyth County, Georgia. Later that day, in DeKalb County, Hilton was spotted in a parking lot removing items out of his van and tossing them into a dumpster. A phone call was made. Quote, the guy you're looking for is cleaning out his van, the witness told the police. DeKalb County police rushed to the scene. This time, Hilton didn't have time to escape. He offered no resistance as police put him into custody. Soon, Hilton found himself in an interview room turned over to the GBI. He readily admitted to killing Emerson. He admitted that he targeted Meredith because she was a woman and he wanted money. Once he acquired her ATM card, he grew more impatient and beat her when she refused to give him the correct password for her account. He coldly commented, 
that he never had any intention of letting her go. She fought him off for four days as she repeatedly tried desperately to survive. Hilton described Meredith's heroic battle in detail. Quote, she grabbed the knife. I lost control of the knife. Then I produced a baton. She fought that and I lost control of the baton. And I'm good too. I had to hand fight her and I still couldn't get my control of her. She wouldn't, uh, she would feign and pretend that, uh, I was in control and then start fighting again. So I had to hit her a number of times. Hilton chained Emerson to his van and kept her there for four days and commented further. As to what extent she was injured, uh, her two eyes were somewhat blackened, uh, she may or may not have had a fractured nose. I checked with her a number of times. She was not in any pain other than a headache. I offered her and gave her some aspirin. Then he beat her to death and decapitated her. In exchange for a full confession and leading Georgia police to Emerson's body, Hilton would get life in prison without the possibility of parole. He did just that. Under heavy escort, Hilton led authorities to a remote road in Dawson Forest, 36 miles south of Blood Mountain, where he had buried Emerson's body. Clearly, the GBI had been looking for Emerson in the wrong place. Just like Dunlap's corpse, the head was gone. It was buried nearby. He had beheaded her in hopes of obscuring her identification. As Georgia authorities pieced together the murder of Meredith Emerson, Florida law enforcement officers were connecting the dots between Emerson and Dunlap. Their killer was the same guy. But unlike Georgia, Florida was not going to make a deal. On February 2, 2008, Hilton was successfully extradited to Florida, where he would soon stand trial for the murder of 46-year-old Cheryl Dunlap. There was a great deal of incentive in Georgia to get Hilton to the Sunshine State, where he would face the death penalty. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement had found the and identified Dunlap's body, fingers, and head. As in the Emerson case, Hilton had mutilated the body in a desperate attempt to obscure identification. It didn't work, and the police were able to identify her. In February 2011, after two years of pretrial hearings, Hilton stood before a judge at a Tallahassee courtroom. At the end of a four-week trial, the jury convicted Hilton of first-degree murder and recommended he be put to death. The judge agreed and officially pronounced the death sentence. As of today, Hilton sits on Florida's death row. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Next week, we will go to Victorian England. We will look at a famous play that spent over 10 months performing on the London stage. It was a play about an attempted murder of a young Irish maiden and the love that the crime kindled. Yet what Londoners didn't know was that the famous play was based on a real crime and was far more terrible than they could ever possibly imagine. Thanks, and I look forward to chatting with you next week.